Welcome to Mind and Soul Matters. We're delighted to share with you again another special presentation from a live forum. It is part of a series of live talks organized in collaboration between Mind and Soul Matters and Melville Baha'i Community to discuss issues around mental health in our society. I will leave the introduction of our presenter to Dr. Dina Ashurian, MC of the forum. Enjoy this very interesting and informative presentation. My name is Dina Ashurian, and I'll be your MC for this afternoon. I'd like to start with some acknowledgments. So I'd like to acknowledge the traditional owners of the land on which we're meeting today, the Wajak Noongar people and their families, and recognize their continuing connection to land, sea, and community. I'd also like to acknowledge the Melville Baha'i community for hosting today's forum at the Baha'i Center. Today is the sixth in a series of mental health and well-being forums where we will explore relevant topics with the help of expert panel members. Baha'i communities all over the world are working to engage in social discourses on topics that are impacting our communities and society at large. Today's forum has a focus on the theme of WA Mental Health Week. The theme is Mind, Body, Environment. There is an intricate interplay between these three elements that plays a profound role in shaping an individual's mental health. The mind, where our thoughts, emotions, and perceptions originate from, exerts a powerful influence on mental well-being. The body, with its complex physiological processes, further reinforces this connection. Our physical health is directly linked with emotional states. Equally important is the environment we're surrounded by, our social interactions, our living conditions, and external stressors. Recognizing the synergy between these elements is essential for cultivating mental wellness. So we'll begin with our first speaker, Dr. Louise Naylor. Dr. Louise Naylor is an associate professor and head of department at UWA School of Human Sciences. She is passionate about exercise as medicine and advocates that exercise can be used to treat, prevent, or reduce the impact of chronic diseases. Her research explores how exercise training can contribute to rehabilitating and improving health outcomes in individuals with or at risk of chronic diseases. Dr. Naylor works as a senior exercise physiologist in the Cardiac Rehabilitation Service at Fiona Stanley Hospital and the Healthy Hearts Program at UWA. So I will now pass on the mic to Louise. Thank you. Thank you so much for that introduction and thank you for having me here today. So as you heard, I'm an exercise physiologist. So when I was back in high school, I had a passion to serve humanity and I really felt that I wanted to do something that was going to be useful. So I thought medicine would be for me. However, as I was a young, naive 17-year-old, I thought, the human body is so beautiful. It has everything in it that it needs to heal itself. So it made me start thinking about medicine and pharmacy, the current medical system where it relies on a lot of interventions, etc. And I thought, 
Our body's probably got inherently inside of it because I was raised as a Baha'i and so I really believe that we are perfect souls and that we have a connection to God. And I thought, surely if we turn inside, then everything that we need to heal is within our bodies. At the same time, I loved sport as I was growing up and there was a beautiful picture in the um, brochure at UWA with a swimming pool and it just looked so enticing. And I thought, yeah, <laughs> why not? Let's do a science degree and look at sports science. I had no idea where it would take me. So as I was studying, a um, new occupation came available and it was clinical exercise physiology. And I really had that passion to find how the human would be able to heal ourselves. So it became quite apparent to me that we have evolved as active beings. Uh, we were hunter-gatherers and our genes have developed to become hunter-gatherers. So what we eat and how we move is really pivotal to who we are. However, in our current society, we have separated the need to exercise from our rewards. In the days of our ancestors, if you weren't active, you couldn't find the food, you wouldn't be able to hunt it, you wouldn't eat. Nowadays, even the jobs that used to be physical have been replaced by robots and machines, and we're seeing more and more chronic health. So it really made me start to think, oh, maybe there is something within our bodies and exercise and moving them around. That will be a natural remedy. And so more and more I was attracted to this and I started doing research and started thinking, oh, how does the heart adapt and what about the blood vessels? And then I've been working at the Advanced Heart Failure and Cardiac Transplant Unit at Fiona Stanley Hospital as well. So these are the people who are end stage life. And my mission as I went in there was to understand the physiology. What was happening to your heart? How do we slow down your heart rate? How do we get you just to be able to do enough exercise? Because what you might not appreciate is if you are waiting for a heart transplant, how fit you are is actually one of the key criteria as to whether or not you're going to get that transplant. We do exercise tests on all of our patients to see whether they would be better to wait to receive the heart transplant or if they would maybe be too sick to receive the heart transplant. So exercise became a key component of what they do. Lo and behold, over the years as I've been working with this group, and I also work at Perth Children's Hospital with children that have got chronic illness, I realised that, yes, I'm improving their muscle mass, yes, I'm improving their fitness, but really the key outcome and the key variable that I'm seeing in patient after patient is improvement in their mental health. So as I've been practicing more and more, I've been really appreciating the impact of exercise on your mental health and how you're going. So it probably doesn't surprise many in this audience that mental health affects so many people. And first line, um, strategy in treating that should be exercise. There was a recent study that was published in the British Journal of Sports Medicine and it shows that exercise is one and a half times as effective as the best medications and psychotherapy that we have for both depression and anxiety. And I wondered, really? Seriously? <laughs> is that true? But as I started to look at my patients, I saw all of the benefits and it makes sense from a physiological perspective as well. We know that inflammation, inflammatory stress, is key to a lot of mental health disorders and afflictions that we have. And exercise is one of our best anti-inflammatories that we can do. So regular exercise is really important for that. As it turns out, my career path and my research journey has led me to also work with children who've had cancer. 
And there is a group of children who've had brain tumours. And either there's chemotherapy or surgery, which resects the tumour. And it's 85% survival for five years. So these children are living and they're going back to work and they're going back to school and they're getting engaged. But there's damage to part of the brain. And what we've seen now is that through exercise, you can actually regenerate the white tissue. So you're actually growing new neurons and you're growing back the brain tissue that had been damaged or affected by the chemo or the brain cancer itself being taken out. And that is phenomenal. So it really makes me wonder what is going on. And there's this quote from the Baha'i Faith, which really put me on the path of where I am. And it just fascinated me. You know, certain things you read and you go, wow, I want to understand that more. So I'll just read it. It's very short. It's from Abdu'l-Baha and it says, the powers of the sympathetic nerve are neither entirely physical nor spiritual, but are between the two systems. The nerve is connected with both. Its phenomena shall be perfect when its spiritual and physical relations are normal. So the sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight response, you've got the accelerator and you've got the brake. The amazing thing with athletes is they have a really, really low heart rate. So our resting heart rates are somewhere between about 60 and 100 beats when we're sitting and not doing much. Whereas if you're an elite level athlete, that heart rate might be down 35 or 40. And that is because the parasympathetic nervous system is increased. So they are able to deal with stress better. They are able to withstand all of the things, but there is an impact of exercise on that nervous system. And that got me really excited. I was like, wait a minute, the nervous system is neither of this world or of the spiritual world, but it's the connection of the two. And when you think about it, you know, athletes talk about being in the zone. You feel like everything's just perfect. There's no distractions and things are just working. And I think that that's our manifestation of that connection. As a Baha'i, we fast. There is a 19-day period of fasting every year. And the reasons that we do this are profound. There are many, many reasons, but some of them I think apply to exercise as well. That is that we are turning off the external distractions and we are listening to our body. One of the main aspects that I see of our patients, you know, they are so deteriorated that they're waiting for a transplant so that they can continue living. If they were just sitting around all day, they probably wouldn't know if they were deteriorating, getting much worse. However, if you're exercising regularly, you will much sooner be able to check in with your body and know what's normal for you. And then when you're pushing your body a little bit further is when you'll be able to determine that, you know what, I could usually walk up three flights of stairs. Today I got up two and a half flights and it was harder than usual. Perhaps something needs to be tweaked and improved. Whereas you could probably be sitting for an extra six months and not know that you're having more symptoms or anything. So that has been something that's really driven me. And I think also, you know, resilience, grit, discipline, reward and punishment, all of these things come with checking in to your body, being able to walk. And when I say exercise, I'm not saying that it needs to be, you know, exerting yourself, huffing and puffing and sweating profusely, the things that we don't like. In the study that I mentioned at the beginning, one and a half times as effective as the best medication or psychotherapy that we have at the moment. Good news, you don't need to do more than 60 minutes each time that you do a session of exercise. 30 minutes is probably enough if you've got anxiety, 30 to 60 minutes if you've got depression. And we're talking low to moderate intensity. 
It is just moving around, probably being able to have a conversation with someone while you're doing that. And that is going to give you the benefits. But the other thing that exercise does is it makes your body healthier. You're having improvements in your cardiovascular system, in your glycemic control, less aches and pains, and you're going to have a healthier body, which means that you can focus more on a healthier mind and have that spiritual connection with it as well. Another amazing thing that I've haphazardly come across in my clinic has been that of the transition from paediatric to adult management. So as I said, I've done a lot of work at Perth Children's Hospital and we see that the children, whether they've got diabetes or whether they've got cancer, whatever it happens to be, there's this transition zone where they're no longer children and managed by the kids' hospital and they get lost. We've got 16-year-old children that need to be managed and they go into an adult clinic and all the people around them are 80 years old, 75, 80, and they just don't feel that comfortable going there. So we've been able to speak to the youth themselves and also their parents and devise a program now, which is a transition from paediatric programs into adult programs. And of course, that's centered on exercise because that's what I do. <laughs> but why? That gives them that support network. So exercising in a group allows them to speak to other people who are going through the same area. What we've also seen is it gives people dignity. It gives people a little bit of autonomy and it gives them a voice in the management of their illness or their chronic disease. Mm. There are a lot of things that we need to do because it's best evidence. You need to do those medications, you need to take it at this time of the day, you need to have these procedures, etc. But what exercise allows you to do is it keeps your body active. You can get up out of the chair on your own. You can retain some dignity and some independence. And you also have a say. So when we do our clinics, I allow our patients to choose what music they want to play, what exercises that they want to do, and something that they themselves feel empowered to take on. And that's something that I take from the community building service activities as the Baha'i community is doing. It's really having that support network of people around you that's a safe place to be. There's a clinic that we run at UWA and we call it our family. Patients who come there speak to other patients who are sharing a similar experience and it normalises it. We have people that come in and they feel that they're too unwell. I remember one gentleman came in and he said, oh, it's probably not worth me coming in because I'm so sick. I've got cancer, I've got heart disease and there's probably not much that I can do. My cardiologist says there's nothing for me. My oncologist says there's nothing for me. And I said, don't worry we're going to see amazing benefits. He came across to the program and he has now referred seven of his friends to the program. He calls that program his family. That's his support network, where he goes, where he can feel safe, and also to celebrate the successes. We have patients that are on a mechanical assist device. They've actually got a pump that's inside of their heart to do the work of the heart because their heart is so frail that without the pump, they wouldn't survive to have a heart transplant. We set them the goal of let's do the city to surf four kilometre fun run. Seemed impossible, absolutely seemed impossible. You know what we did? We did all the assessments. We did their health outcomes, their quality of life. We looked at mental health. And I thought, yes, we're going to show the power of exercising. We're going to show how important this is. We're going to delay needing the transplant, etc., etc. Health, no improvements at all. Mental health. 150-fold improvements. They felt proud of themselves. They were in a group. 
they were all able to achieve what so many other people that they spoke to said, oh, I'd never be able to walk four kilometres. And now we've got some of those patients who've had a heart transplant who were doing a half marathon. It's their way of showing, yes, I can, and showing to other people, yes, I can as well. So the impact of that on their mental health is so much more than the physiology that we're looking at. I mean, I've got notes here and I'm, I was going to talk to you about neuromuscular adaptations or the hypothalamic pituitary adrenal axis because I'm an academic and that's what I talk about. But really, the impact of all of this has been so tangible for all of the patients, for all of the people who have been so blessed to be part of their journey. We've had children who've been able to transition successfully to really have the best outcomes and to feel that they could do it. And I think, you know, if that's not just showing the power of physical activity and exercise for your mental health, for feeling that you belong to a community, feeling that you can achieve anything that you want to, and also having realistic goals that, yes, maybe I can't do four kilometres yet, but if I can stand up and walk to the end of the room and come back, then that's a win. And there are a few wins that many of our patients are actually able to have some control over. So that's all I wanted to share. Thank you. Wasn't she great and inspirational? I think I've just got inspiration to exercise a little bit more. <laughs> I concur completely with you because the last two years, I, every day I either cycling, hiking, walking, or swimming. Yep. This is my question for you as a researcher. What I found when I do that, I feel a sense of happiness. I feel a sense of life is good. I feel a sense of contentment. Mm. I'm not euphoric, you know, going to night, night club, but I feel like very good. And your question of bringing friends is so good because it's so good because tomorrow I'm taking six friends to walk 15 kilometers in the forest. Okay, so this is the conversation I'm going to have with them. I'm going to borrow from you and look smart. Okay, this is my question for you. <laughs> the question I'm going to ask you is your research. Why do I feel that? Is it entrophin? The nurses, the, the nerve system talk about, or the whole community. Why do I feel when I'm after cycling elated? contented, feel good, and say life is good? I mean, it's so multifaceted. We look at inflammatory stress and we actually measure how much there is of that. And we can see even one bout of exercise improves that. So there's less load on your body that you need to sort of, you know, if you only have so much energy in your body, if you need to put some of it to just handling your blood sugar levels, to be looking after your stress levels, et cetera, et cetera then you don't have as much energy left for mental health. The other aspect is obviously that as we're exercising, we're releasing feel-good hormones. You're also increasing those hormones that allow you to deal with stress. You are also having a physical release of your stress. You know, we hold stress in our bodies, and by being active and by moving, you're actually able to give that a vehicle to express itself so that you're not holding it physiologically in your bodies anymore. There are so many different things, whether it is on the physiology or whether it is within the brain that are being released with exercise. Our bodies are meant to move, just to stand up. We did a study where we looked at getting people just to stand up during the day. So people came in for eight hours into our lab and they sat all day long on one day. We wheelchaired them to go to the toilet, so they didn't even stand up to do that. Then on another day they came in and they walked on a treadmill for 15 minutes 
and then they sat for the rest of the day. And on a third day they came in, so they spent three entire days with us and we controlled every single thing about their day. The third day, every couple of minutes, so every 12 minutes, they stood up and sat back down. And then every four hours, they walked for 10 minutes and then they sat back down. We could actually see the inflammatory responses were reduced for those people across the whole day. Their glycemic control, so how good their body was at buffering those spikes that you have in glucose and insulin, was attenuated. We also saw that there was improvements in vascular function, in their sympathetic nervous system, and in their mood. If you found today's episode useful, remember to share an episode with a friend and follow Mind and Soul Matters on your preferred podcast platform and on social media. Look forward to your company next time on Mind and Soul Matters.